0: tonight I want to talk about four principles that will aid a strong personal time with God. How many know you need a strong personal time with God today? Uh, It's not a day to live on because that's what fills you up. Uh, John 1 I think it says of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. So God's got fullness for you every day. I mean, he's, he wants to fill you up inside so you're able to confront the challenges of life that come. How many understand that? So, not a day to live on empty, and it's not a day to be low spiritually. So, I tell my family, and I practice this myself, it's such a weird time of the world that I don't even let the gas gauge in my vehicles go down very far. If it gets towards half, I'm going to go fill that dude back up. Because you don't know what. I mean, it's so weird today. It's so weird. Would you agree? I got my amen corner over here. Thank you, brother. But how many understand what I'm saying? So, I mean, I do that naturally, and I want to encourage you to do it spiritually. Don't let yourself get too low spiritually. If you do, you'll find yourself at a huge disadvantage. How many of you hear what I'm saying. So there's huge pressures, and you know um, Ephesians six. And let me say all this. Here we go. So uh, Ephesians 6, six talks about uh, standing during the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. The question is, when is the evil day? Let me be real with you. The devil doesn't attack the saint with the same uh, stamina or strength every single day. It comes like in waves. You'll be you. You have days like. Uh, you know, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, you know, it's my day, you know, everything's wonderful, hip-hip-hooray. You have other days, it's like, why did I even get out of bed today, right? So, you know, the evil day is when the enemy attacks, I and mean, he can attack you mentally, he can attack you emotionally, attack you through relationships, he can attack you physically, and then there are also spiritual attacks. How many hear me? And... Uh, you know, they come in various forms, but it all has the same, uh, same, scheme, same scheme behind it, and as, that is the devil. So we need to be prepared for those attacks. That's the idea. Learning to live from the inside out, right? So um, Proverbs 4.23, guard. Everybody say guard. The word guard came up to me today as I was preparing this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your heart, uh, your life. Your heart, many times in the Bible, I know it's the center of us. We talked about the heart of a subject. The heart of a person, of course, you know, our heart, our cardia, without our heart beating, we don't live. So the heart of a subject is the most important part. So the Bible refers to heart as the spirit nature of man. So guard your spirit nature. Guard the person you are inside. Guard. The word guard kept coming up to me, um, guarding the person inside. Um, You know, there is a gateway to your heart. And the eyes and the ears are the gateway to your heart. You ever thought about it like that? So you think, about, you think about horses, cattle, think about a corral. You know, you got a round fence in place, big, big place. And you got a big gate, two gates, you open them up. And then the animals can be herded in there, right? So, so, so think about your eyes and ears as the gate that opens up the door of your thinking your thoughts, anything that goes inside of you goes through the eye gate and through the ear gate. Yes or no? And, and and then the things you think about and meditate on are the things that get down inside of you. Is that true? So that's why we've got to keep our hearts. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard what you allow to go down inside of you. So again, it's really important. So uh, the question is, is my devotional time with Jesus the most important part of my day? We should be able to answer yes. Last week I talked about this. I'm going to a different vein today. Uh, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus said in Matthew 6.6, 6, when you pray, Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray uh, to your Father in private, then your Father who sees everything will, will, will reward you. Last week I mentioned Smith Wigglesworth. I got this uh, quote back uh, probably 1984 uh, from the book Ever Increasing Faith. I mentioned it last week. Pay attention to life's inflow. That is what, what comes inside of you. Pay attention to life's inflow. Outward service will dwindle. If inward energies are not renewed, and I've had seasons of life, Susan. I have four grown children now, and uh, but when the kids were young and we were really busy, I've planted churches, I've had ministries, traveling ministry. I've been here for this will be my thirtieth year, and you know life has busy seasons with so many things happening at different times, and I've had times that I could tell, you know, my 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 spiritual. My spiritual thermometer was low. I mean, it was low. My, my uh, detector was low and I needed to do something because I, I needed to build myself up. So pay attention to the person you are inside. I think about that quote a lot. Last week, I talked about five different circles of closeness that all of us have with Jesus. And I ask you to determine where you are. And those circles are, number one, Jesus had the multitude. Do you remember that? The multitudes of people that look for signs and wonders, they heard that Jesus is going to be a certain locale. So they went to check him out, may have had a friend come say, hey, you want to see something really wild? Come and watch this guy. And they weren't there to commit. They were there to watch. They weren't there to have their life changed. They were just there to watch. A lot of people are that way today. Well, I, I want to do that. My friends are there. So I'm going, they get nothing out of, of being with the Lord. How many hear what I'm saying? So you got the multitude, you got the seventy. Uh, that surrounded Jesus. Uh, uh, Jesus chose 35 groups of two people, 70 people, and they went out and ministered on his behalf, ministered in his name, and they saw the power of God in manifestation. Seventy people, you can only get so close to the leader that's teaching and training you if you got 70 people in a group, right? They had a level of closeness that the multitude didn't have, but then from the 70 there emerged three peter uh, i'm sorry 12 12 disciples and uh they emerged from the 70 and the 12 disciples heard things that the 70 probably didn't hear. The Sermon on the Mount, for instance, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. The, um, uh, the 12 disciples heard that. He brought them up and he taught them. He taught them about end times as well. They were there and he talked to them about what the world would be like before he came back then from the 12. So the 12 uh, were, were, um, had available to them things that the 70 didn't or the multitude, right? So you got the multitude what, 70, 12, then from the 12, there emerged three, Peter, James, and John, and they heard and saw things that others didn't. They saw Jesus' power over death. They saw him cast out devils. They saw him do other things that the other disciples at times did not see, although sometimes everybody saw them, but they, again, were privy to conversations that the 12, the 70, and the multitude weren't, and so they were closer, right? And so, uh, again, those we can that we can uh, use as, I'm trying to get this thing to open up, it's not listening. Um, They can be used as definitions of how close we are to the Lord. Then the last one is the uh, disciple who just laid his head on Jesus' shoulder. And that, that place is available to all of us. So whether it's the multitude, the 70, the 12, the three, the one, who determines the closeness towards Jesus? Is it Jesus that determines the closeness? No, it's us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So uh, the, the three, I think all of the multitude could have been where the three were, but what determined who made up the three? Their, their, uh, you know, their response to Jesus drawing them, right? And so we're the same way. So check out where you are, and I think God wants every one of us to be that one whom, who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Had his head on Jesus' chest. So today, four principles to aid a strong personal time with God. And uh, these four principles, I'm going to do four this week. And next week, I'm I'm going to talk about um, four practical suggestions for a great personal time with God, and we'll get real practical. And I'm not sure if I'll get through. I may have to have an additional week to talk about next week. We'll get as practical as I know how. Nobody talked to me about how to have a devotional life that really made my life work. Uh, I stumbled up on it in the 80s, early 80s. I'd already been to two Bible schools at the time. and uh, and But nobody really talked about it way back then. And uh, I stumbled up on these things. And now all these decades later, had I not had the kind of... Um, just personal time with God, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's just not possible, just not possible. And I thank God uh, so many times for allowing me to do what I do, but then more than that, for speaking to me the way he did when I was younger. I'll talk about a little bit of that today. So four principles that aid a personal time with God. Number, so here are the four. Number one, frequent contact develops closeness. Everybody say it. Frequent contact develops closeness. Number two, second principle, spiritual strength has to be renewed daily. Everybody say it. Spiritual strength must be renewed daily. Number three, time with God creates spiritual power. Say it. Time with God creates spiritual power. Now say this one with me. Number four is on the screen. Make time with Jesus the first priority in your day. So let's start with the first, start with the first one. We'll get through this and go home at a good time. So number one, the first one is frequent contact develops closeness. So, you know... Um, And I mentioned this, I've got so many venues I speak in. One of the venues, I I think it was the men, talked about the fact that if you want to develop a new habit in your life, if you can do that from between three and four weeks, you develop a, a systematic new habit if you can do something for 21 to 28 days in a row. You begin the formation of a habit. A habit is something you do without thinking. It's like second nature to you. And, and, you know, God has given us the capacity for habit. So for me, I just felt like as a young man, if I could create a habit of wanting to get up and spend the first part of my day with God, tithe the first part of my time with God, that would be one of the best habits I could ever have. We'll get into that a little bit in a minute. But the idea of, of habit formation, a good habit to form is is um, getting close to God every single day. So again, number one, frequent contact develops closeness. Think about the relationships in your life. All of us have varying degrees of relationship with people. Friend, we have acquaintances, we have comrades, we have, you know, people that we work with, we have people in our communities, and all of those are varying levels of closeness. The level of closeness I have with anybody in my life and yours too is based on how often I make contact with that person. You've got people that you may see where you work. And you carry on conversations with them in a break room or a lunch room or passing in a hall or. Or you may have to do work with them, and you make contact with them, text or email or phone or whatever, or in person. Uh, but, but nonetheless, you make contact with them several times. And then we have relationships that are pr- purely on a professional level, right? You never talk about personal things. You never talk about your thoughts, your desires, the, the, the things that make up your personal life. It's all professional. Those are relationships. I'm just trying to paint a picture of that. We've got all kinds of different relationships, but the idea is the people that you're closest to are the ones that you make contact with most frequently. And the more frequently you contact someone, potentially the deeper the relationship goes. Is that true? So you've got levels of friends. If you talk about friends in your life, you've got friends that... You know, you may see at church here. Come here a couple of times a week, or some people come once a week, and they talk to people. And you know, when you see somebody once a week, you'll say hi and you'll talk about current events. You'll talk about the weather. And guys will talk about the ball game. Uh, sisters will talk. What do y'all talk about? You talk about the latest recipe, something you cook, and something about your children. You know what I'm saying? So the idea is, you talk about surface things. But the more frequently you contact somebody and make Make conversation with somebody. The deeper the level of uh, communication goes, is it true? The more you bear your heart, the more you reveal of yourself as you get comfortable with that person. And see, that's naturally true. That's also I found it also a hundred percent true spiritually. The more free, frequent, frequently, frequently you contact the Lord, the more. the the deeper the relationship goes instead instead of just talking about all these facts and things that are happening you start pouring your heart out about how this makes you feel and what's what's going on over here and what's happening here and and then eventually if you do it right y'all you'll tell him the good the bad the ugly the indifferent everything about you that nobody else knows He already knows, because he sees and knows everything, Psalm 139 says, right? So that's where we want to get with the Lord. So frequent contact develops closeness. In my personal life, I found out the more I read the Word, the more I wanted to read the Word. The more I prayed, the more I wanted to pray. And uh, back years ago, uh, I don't have time to go into this much detail, Uh, back in 1982... Uh, I miss God. It's a long story got back in the will of God, but it just kind of cut off my spiritual desire I was just kind of blase for a while and uh, it's a long story but the cut to the chase was my, my desire for God was probably as low as it It ebbed as low as it ever had been in my life because I get disappointed. You ever let yourself get disappointed in people? And well, that's where I was. And so uh, Susan and I got back in the will of God after being out of the will of God. It's a long story. Uh, but in the middle of that, uh, at church one day, uh, a guest speaker came and he just made one comment. I didn't hear anything else the man said because God spoke to me. You ever had somebody say something and that one thing tagged you and you don't even remember anything else? They say, well, that was me. And he said this, desire always follows attention. And right then I was wrestling with, I mean, God called me to ministry. And I mean, my desire for God was a ebb and low because of, you know, I, uh, I was disappointed about certain things in people. And I should have had my, my eyes on Jesus, not the people, Right. But I let that happen. And and I say, God, I need you to help me. And when he said, desire follows your attention, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I made myself read every single day. In fact, uh, the church I attended, I got at the time cassette tapes, 1982. And I got the cassette tapes of the pastor preaching. And I sat down and I I had an automatic cassette tape player. I could cut it off on and off at will. With just a little switch. And so I wrote down, I I sat with an 8.5 by 11 uh, 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 pad and a pen, and we didn't have the internet at the time. There were not personal computers and all that. You wrote everything down. I wrote down everything, every single thing that pastor said. I wrote down the scripture references and looked them up. Every single week day after day after day however long it took me I would sit down with the amount of time I had and wrote out everything. He said I didn't want to do it I didn't feel like doing it But you know, I knew that if I point my attention towards what I wanted Eventually desire came and I actually did that for a couple of weeks. I was really upset with myself I wasn't really upset with the Lord. How many you know, you can disappoint yourself and that's a real demotivator. And I was disappointed with myself. But when I started doing that, by probably two weeks plus into that, I was sitting there one day and, you know, it got a little bit monotonous, just writing everything down, you know, but, but I would do it because I wanted to get myself back into wanting to read my Bible, wanting to have a time with God. And that's just what I did because desire follows attention. Well, well about eh, a little over two weeks, I'll never forget the day came for the first time in a long time, I wanted to read. I wanted to read. I didn't want to just listen to my pastor. I wanted to read my Bible for myself. And I said, you know what, God? What that guest speaker said is true. Desire does follow attention. Then it made me think about the Sears and Roebuck catalog. If you're young, you don't know this day. But the JCPenney catalog, man, those dudes were two inches plus thick, right? You remember? And they had a big old thick toy section in them and bicycle section in them. And motorcycles, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Man, I was looking, I want that. I'd earmark that. I want that. I want that. And and I had desires for the things I paid attention to, right? And you do the same thing today. Whatever you give attention to is what you have a desire for. So if you want a desire for God, pay attention to Him. Spend time with Him. Uh, The more frequently you make contact, the deeper the relationship and fellowship goes. Does that make sense? So we'll talk more about that maybe in just the next time. I think I'll go into more detail. Secondly, spiritual strength has to be renewed. How often? So think about it like this. It takes energy to withstand and, and resist the three enemies of the spiritual life. Uh, First John says, the world, the flesh, the devil. And you know, it takes spiritual energy energy to say no to the influences of the world. And the world could be defined as the floating mass of thoughts, one guy says, that, that everybody's thinking about, that produces behaviors that people, a lot of people are involved in. It's cultural things, it uh, uh, differs from nation to nation, As some, th- some things transcends na- transcend nations, and they are just common to humanity. So that's the world, the flesh, and those are, are desires in your human person that disagree with God's best for you. That's a good way to describe it, perhaps. The world, the flesh, and then direct attacks uh, from the dark side, from the enemy. He's constantly seeking to kill, steal, and destroy and looking for inroads. Peter said he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we've got to resist him. And that resistance takes energy. So every day... Just like we expend physical energy. Are you tired by the time, you know, 9 or 10 o'clock at night come? Maybe by 6. Uh, uh, I won't say it. I was going to pick on somebody. I, uh, let me I know people in my life who by the time it gets 6 o'clock at night, if they sit down, they're gone, right? So why? Because we expend spiritual, uh, physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy. How many know emotional energy is real? And you can have an emotionally spent day where things have you really, really on edge all day. And you've got this challenge, that challenge, and a conversation here and a conversation there. And it wears you out. It saps the strength, right? Emotionally, mentally, you can be strained because you're constantly dealing with this pressure, this thing, this thing. Particularly if you have a job and you're juggling things back and forth, this and this and this, right? So by the end of the day, you're tired spiritually the same way. And so every day we expend spiritual energy. And I'm just wanting you to see that as we have to renew our our mental self, as we have to renew our emotional self. Sometimes you need to disengage, right? And just do some chill time by yourself. Is that right? Just just to renew your mental energy, your emotional well-being, right? Your physical strength. We have to eat. We need to exercise. If all you do is eat and never exercise, you're not going to have a lot of strength left. Because uh, your belly's trying to digest all that stuff you're trying to satisfy yourself with putting, uh, putting in that thing below your nose. So anyway, um, <laughs> so just think about this. Again, it takes spiritual energy, energy to resist the world, the flesh, the devil. If you try to do, a, for instance, if you try to do heavy exercise on a day that you haven't eaten. How many know if you ate good yesterday, but you try to, you know, I lift weights, you know, I hit dumbbells, and uh, I walk every day, exercise on my bicycle. If I try to go on a long uh, bicycle ride, 30 miles or something, and I haven't eaten carbohydrates just a period of time prior to doing that, if I try to do it on yesterday's carbohydrates, guess what happens? I call it, I lose my legs. And I, I, man, I can hardly, hardly, hardly go. Well, that's true physically. How many know spiritually it's the same way? It takes spiritual energy to live life. So renew the resource. Second Corinthians 4 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Jesus equates spiritual energy. With spiritual food, the Word of God, we get natural energy from our natural food. So if I'm going to ride on a long-distance bike ride, for instance, I'm going to eat plenty of carbohydrates just before I do that. And I usually take a banana or two with me if I'm going to be gone several hours, right? Well, do the same thing spiritually. Jesus said this, Matthew 4, 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones, become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so that came from a direct quote from Deuteronomy 8.3, where it says, He humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So I've always seen it this way, the same way physical food energizes me physically, the word of God energizes me spiritually, right? So the Old Testament reference of manna, everybody say manna. The Hebrew word for manna literally means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. So you know the story. But if uh, can we read this? I just want to talk to you about manna. The Word of God is your daily spiritual manna. You'll find this in Exodus 16. I just want to read the story. If you haven't read this in a while, it's worth reading. This is etched inside of me for eternity, and I see the Word of God as manna. I see the Word of God as spiritual food. So notice the uh, analogy here is the manna that the Israelites uh, were fed in the wilderness. They wandered 40 years, and it took a lot of food for two and a half million people to wander in a desert all that time but god fed them with manna it's an excellent analogy of us spending time with god so exodus 16:1, the whole community It's a new living translation the whole community of israel set out for elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between or sinai mount sin as mount sinai uh between elam and mount sinai they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month one month after leaving the land of Egypt, there too the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. Uh, there we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, sounds like a lot of people today whining about what they don't have, huh? Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down uh, food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food. When they prepare it, they will there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel by evening, you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, uh, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that we you should complain about us? Then Moses added, the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses and Aaron. Moses said to Aaron, announce to the entire congregate community of Israel, present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the clouds. Then the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites' complaints. Now they tell me in the evening you will have meat to eat. In the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening vast number of numbers of quail flew in. And covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance, as fine as frost, blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is this? Uh, they asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And, and Moses told them, It's food the Lord has given you to eat. Then the Lord's instructions each household should gather, and this is the key. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. That's amazing. It's a miracle. Uh, Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. Those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. That's the key. Then Moses told them, don't keep any any of it until morning. That is, once you eat it, Get rid of it. you finish it, get rid of it. Uh, but some of them didn't listen and kept some until morning the next day. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. There's some stinky tints in Israel that day. Moses was very angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each according to its needs. And the sun, as the sun became hot, the flakes that they had not picked up melted and disappeared. And so again, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all of the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. And uh, so he told them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord, bake or boil as much as you want today, set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor so six days they had to get up before the dew dried they had to go pick up food for their family manna which came on the ground with the dew and put it in a jar and uh, for their family that day but they could only get that day's supply that's the key that's the key they couldn't leave it over for the next until the next day because it would bring worms and stink unless it was sabbath Supernaturally on the Sabbath, they were uh, the day before Sabbath, Saturday. They were able to, they were able to pick up, you know, um, enough for two days, and it didn't uh, breed worms. So there's an excellent analogy if we can just go back to what I'm talking about—an excellent analogy of your devotional time—and I think God set that before us. When Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's an excellent analogy going back to Exodus 16 and the food that God prepared for the Israelites every single day. They had to get up early enough to gather what they needed for their family. If they waited, wanted to sleep late, get up at 11 or noon, they just missed their opportunity for food that day because it dried up and it was no more. So the idea behind that is you need spiritual food every day, just like they needed to pick up their physical food every day. We need spiritual food every day and you can't live on yesterday's spiritual food, right? So that's the idea behind that. So that's a, that's a principle, and I encourage you, uh, you. How many know, just because I preach, I might preach good on Sunday or Wednesday, that ain't, that's not enough. That's just a catalyst for and it does set a a set direction motivation vision and such But every one of us need a personal time with god where we really glean something from him And so if you try to live on yesterday's word or the word that god gave you last week It's going to breed worms and stink and you're going to have a stinky life and it's not going to work very well Right, and you're going to be spiritually hungry. So again number one Number one is frequent contact develops closeness. Number two, spiritual strength must be renewed daily. Number three, time with God creates spiritual power. Everybody say spiritual power. Now this was probably 1986, five six, and um, and I had had developed a habit of getting up early and, um, and and going into my office early at the church I worked for in Oklahoma and. Um, and just spent a time, a couple of hours with God. Acts 1.8 came before me that day, and I was meditating on Acts 1.8 where it says, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. power. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I was meditating on that word uh, power, and I mean, I was just doing minding my business. And let me encourage you in this. You read the Bible, it's good. Take some time to meditate. And reading and meditation are two different things. Reading is like a cow grazing in a field, but meditation is like that cow going off under a, a nice uh, shade tree and then belching up what he's already eaten because the cow has seven stomachs. That's gross, I know, but that's really meditation. You got to meditate on what you read. If you don't meditate on what you read, it'll never, it'll never change who you are. My mother used to tell me when I was a little boy, I would, you know, put three pieces of steak in my mouth, or you know, three, you know, portions of food, and uh, and have all my both my jaws were full of food. And she said, Mitch, you're putting too much, son. Son, don't put so much. Eat your food. Eat it. Chew it up real good. Uh, if you don't, they're not going to get the nutrition out of it. And, you know, I learned later as I read biology and all that, that, you know, you miss the saliva with your food and chew it well. Then you get all the nutrients out. I was swallowing my food half whole as a kid. My mother's trying, trying to get me not to do that. And, you know, a lot of believers are doing that. If you just read the word, you got your 365-day Bible. If you just do it and say, well, I did that for today. Well, God, aren't you proud of me? You, got not, you might not have got anything out of it. Is that true? Take time to meditate. And so for me, once I finish reading in the morning, I usually sit back, I underline things and make notes of things as I read. And then I just think about them a little bit. And we'll talk about meditation later. But uh, then I take time throughout the day to meditate. I meditate when I'm driving. Sometimes I'll cut the uh, uh, podcast off I'm listening to or music I may be listening to. And I'll just uh, be quiet in the truck and and just meditate. That is pull a scripture up. I've been doing that for decades now. When I wake up at night, I don't count sheep. I don't wonder why I'm not going to sleep. I meditate on the word. You'll go to sleep fast because there's not a devil in hell that wants you to stay awake and meditate. You'll go back to sleep. And so, but I do it at night. I have themes of scripture. I meditate take time to meditate the word. So I was meditating on the word. You shall receive power. And that word power, the Greek word is dunamis. I knew that. We get the word dynamite a dynamic and dynamo from that word. And while I was thinking about Acts 1-8 and the word dunamis came up from my studies, uh, dunamis, the word dynamo came from dunamis. And the Lord said this to me, Mitch, did you know that you have a spiritual dynamo in you capable of reproducing spiritual energy? I said, what? And that's all he said. You have a dynamo in you, I said. So I had to go look up the principle of the dynamo. A dynamo a dynamo doesn't create energy; it takes energy and it converts it into a usable source. And so, uh, did you have a did you have that? Did you have that picture? I think it's a rolling picture. There's a dynamo. You know, a dynamo is a, a, a wire that is put in between two magnets that rotates. It throws electrons off, and guess what? We have lights. We have heat or cool, whatever the you know, outside temperature says, and we enjoy our environment. Why? Because of the principle of the dynamo somewhere at a plant that is producing electricity. It might be hydroelectric, it may be gas, it may be carbon-based, it may be coal, it may be, um, it may be oil. It could be nuclear here, right? But nonetheless, you have a, the principle of the dynamos in view when you think about electricity. And God spoke to me with that very word and said, Mitch, inside of you there is a spiritual dynamo. And this was, actually, this was back in the early 80s, and I was challenged with myself. I had a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance, a lot of anger, a lot of selfishness, and lots of other things in my life. I wasn't proud of my reactions in a lot of ways to life, and I was saying, God, what do I do about all that? And in the middle of all that, he talked to me about getting up in the morning, spending time with him. Then he talked to me about this spiritual dynamo. and said, Mitch, if, you, if you'll do the things necessary to create spiritual energy in your own life, you'll be able to withstand the world, the flesh, the devil. When your flesh rises up, when the anger rises up, when the animosity rises up, when the unforgiveness rises up, when wrong words rise up, when your flesh rises up, Mitch, you'll be able to answer it the way that you should with a with a spiritual power necessary to ward it off, uh, the dynamo. So a dynamo doesn't have energy in and of itself. It's got to have an energy source. Something's got to cause that coil of copper wire to turn that creates the energy and again there's got to be an energy source for he said mitch your energy source is the word and your energy source is time spent with me in prayer if you'll do that you'll cut on as it were a spiritual dynamo in you i took god to task and for decades now i spent start my day with god which i'm giving away my last point but i start my day with god and start that spiritual dynamo when i started doing this I I almost had to pinch myself. I say, God, all these things that were such challenges to me, these people that came into my life that I wanted to, you know, poke their eyes out because I was so aggravated with them, and uh, and say things that I shouldn't say and act in ways I should. Lord, I'm I'm amazed. Look, it's like I'm able to. It's okay, and I can deal with that. And and you're you're doing something inside of me. And I found out that if I just spend time with the Lord, meditate in the Word, spend daily time with Him. Can't live on yesterdays. I got to have it for today. I'll turn on a spiritual dynamo. So, the question for me and you today is are you taking time every day to turn on your spiritual dynamo? Right? Do you have the energy every day? If not, uh, there are just some things we need to do, and we'll get real practical on that next time. The last thing I'll share this week make time with Jesus. Everybody say, first priority in your day i mentioned this last week i was uh, meditating on matthew 633 and the lord said to me you know seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness all these things will be added and then he said to me what's first in your life Make first in your day. And that was really difficult for me. I mentioned that, so I won't mention it much today. mentioned it last week. But he challenged me to start getting up early. I'd never been an early riser, never had been. But when he told me to start getting up early on purpose and spending time with him, we'll catch this next time on how to get practical with yourself and set a habit pattern of early rising that you can that you can use the rest of your life till Jesus comes and takes you home. I started doing that. It made a huge, huge difference with me. I wasn't satisfied with where I was in Jesus. I wasn't living in sin, but it just wasn't satisfied. And my nature was I'd do my work, I'd get home, I'd read my Bible and I would pray. And listen, i had been a Bible school student for crying out loud. I'd already been to Bible school, already knew this stuff, but I was, wasn't practically applying it very well. When I started getting up in the morning and spending time with God to begin my day, it changed my whole world. And uh, everything was absolutely different. There are several scriptures that, as I conclude today, uh, that really allude to early rising, seeking the Lord to begin your day. There's nothing in scripture that says you have to do this. And so it's not like a carte blanche, you do this, but it's a principle. And I've noticed that the men and women of God in the church age that have been used of God in a demonstrable way to minister life, they have been people who rose early and got up just like Jesus did a great while before day and dedicated the first part of their day to God, it made all the difference in the world. Here's Psalm 5:2. Give heed to my vo- uh, the voice of my cry, my King, my God, for to you I will pray. My voice will you hear when? In the morning. Oh Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Psalm 59:16. I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my troubles. Uh, Psalm 63, I love this. Oh God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. That's early, early in the morning. Psalm 88, 13, but to you have I cried up. Uh, out, O oh Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. And several times in the Gospels, I've got one listed here, Mark 1, 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before day, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. This has become such a habit pattern for me. and I start my day with the Lord and have for a long time. It was really hard to begin with to just, to develop the habit of early rising and get it to where it's like second nature but once I did that you know, it's been you know 30 uh, 38 nine 38 years since I started this but since I've done that I mean I have to go back and think about what life was like to, to not get up in the morning and, and not spend time with the Lord and when I go back and remember I say boy it ain't worth doing what I did it's better to do it this way so I've spent really my whole adult life, basically getting up early, rising early. And you say, "Well, you're a pastor. Well, even if I wasn't a pastor, y'all, I would start my day with Jesus, because you know I have to deal with the world, the flesh, the devil, just like you do, and uh, and sometimes more because you know if the enemy can get a leader to mess up, he can get a lot of people to mess up. Is that true? And so it's even more important if you have uh, you know if you have some. Uh, you know, have some responsibility in your life. So, again, I can just tell you that spending time with Jesus in the morning is worth every effort to change your life, change your habits. I never had been a morning person. We come back next time. I want to talk about how to make this time really, really important, really exciting. You can actually uh, do uh, your devotional time in such a way that that your mind and your emotions and even your physical body become accustomed to it and you actually get excited about getting up early so i'll talk about that next time how you can develop that habit and you can actually engage your mind and, and do things that even your mind wants the information that you're about to put in it from the word but you've got to do it a certain way or it can be boring so if you find bible reading boring and if you don't read a lot of books, I have found the majority of people, once they graduate college, don't do a lot of reading. And I don't know how many people have told me, I don't like to read. If you don't read, you will never grow past where you are today. Right? And if you read in your past but stopped, that's where you stopped growing. So I want to talk to you about how to really become exciting about being a reader, how to how to. Uh, how to grasp what you read, apply it to your life. And I'll just talk about some really practical things about how to make the Word of God. Hey, it's, it's 66 books we call the Bible. There's a lot of information there. A lot of it is a, a, another, another era of time. How do you apply it to you? We'll talk about all of that. There are books, there are aids, and the things that you can do that even make your mind excited about getting up in the morning. When, when David said, early will I seek you, my flesh longs for you. In the early years, I was saying, God, I want to be that. I want my flesh to even want you, right? Well, there's some things you can do to get your natural person to be excited about. We'll talk about it next time.